All right, gang, make yourself comfortable. I want you to take your Bible and go to the very first chapter in the Bible, the very first chapter, which is Genesis chapter 1. Like I said earlier in the service, uh, I'm always enthusiastic when I have an opportunity to, uh, to teach from this book on Sundays. It doesn't really matter how my week's gone, whether it's been good or bad. When Sunday morning gets here and I get an opportunity to present this truth, I get pretty fired up. Uh, never more so than a principle like today's. Today's principle is so simple that a child can understand it. Um, it is so revolutionary that it literally can change lives. And I don't make that statement very lightly. I don't know if you've ever been to a church. People talk about, man, we're changing lives. We're changing lives. God is changing lives. I, I get that. And that happens. Uh, but I don't use that terminology lightly. But this principle today, it can change your life. Uh, we're going to introduce you to a four-part series entitled Step Up. What kind of world would we know? What kind of community would we experience? What kind of marriage could you have? What kind of corporation business could you build if everyone agreed to step up? To step up. You know, it's very common to step back to step down, to hide, to run, to shirk the responsibility, to skirt the issue. But what if we all just agreed, we're going to step up. Uh, this book is filled with men and women who, when God called them to do so, were willing to step up, willing to step up. I mean, I wonder how the Old Testament would read if men like Moses and Joshua, David, Women like Rahab, Esther, instead of stepping up, what if they stepped aside? I, I wonder how the New Testament would read if, if Mary and Martha and Peter and James and John and Paul, if, if they, when called upon by God, instead of stepping up, if they stepped out. It'd be a completely different story. It'd be a completely different book. There are many, many instances in both Old and New Testament where God plainly speaks to humankind and says, hey, step up. One of the saddest laments in all the Bible, in my opinion, is a statement that comes from Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. I've had this framed on my desk in my home office for 30 years now. This is God speaking. And God said, I looked for someone who would build up the wall and stand in the gap, but I found no one. God in the Old Testament was always looking for men and women to step up. In this particular instance, he said, I looked for men and women to step up, but I couldn't find any. Today, I want to challenge you to step up. Today, I want to challenge you to step up in the area of taking personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Now, we demand this from our leaders. We seldom get it. We demand this from the people we put in authority over our lives. We all know what we want from politicians, community leaders, role models, pastors, teachers, athletes, those with a bully pulpit, but we seldom get it. We want them to take responsibility for their own actions. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you witnessed a politician a professional athlete, 
someone in the national spotlight sit down at a microphone in a press conference and take total responsibility. I don't know that I've ever seen that in my life. Think about it. The Catholic Church has been in the news recently, and sadly so. Evidently, a bishop has published a report indicating that hundreds and hundreds of young men and women have been abused by men in ministry at the Catholic Church. And of course, the press demands a statement. Well, this man, this is Cardinal Cupic in Chicago. He was asked, what is the Holy Father going to do about these allegations of widespread abuse? And do you know what that man said? He said the Holy Father has more important things to worry about, like climate change and protecting our immigrants. We are not, and I quote, going to go down that rabbit hole. The news media gets it wrong so often. The news media can be proven wrong ten times over. And rather than start the next broadcast with, gee, I'm sorry, we messed up. We got it wrong. You know what the news media does? They double down. How refreshing would it be to see a politician, a professional athlete, a mayor, a pastor, a congressperson stand before a microphone and take full responsibility? Urban Meyer's been in the news lately. You know what I wanted to hear from that man? I take total, complete, full responsibility. Al Franken's been in the news in the last year, part of that Me Too movement that's sweeping across the nation. I will resign. No, I'm not. I will resign, but let me kind of test the waters first, see if I can stay. Our own president, wouldn't you like him just come out and say, you know what? Yeah, I slept with people other than my wife. I wish he'd just say it. How refreshing would it be? Now, wait. When we talk about this area of personal responsibility, we typically talk about it on the philosophical level. We wax eloquent, we wax philosophical, we talk, we talk responsibility on the national level, the decline of marriage in America, or our politicians, government, education in America. I don't want you to do that today. I want you to bring it down where we live, because Taking responsibility is easy to discuss in the big picture, but it's very difficult to personalize. You see, there's something about taking responsibility that makes me easy to point out your irresponsibility, but difficult to see my own. You get that? So let's not talk about the people out there. Let's talk about the people in here. More specifically, let's not talk about the people watching online or the people over there. Let's talk about this person right here. It is time we start taking responsibility for our lives. What would our marriages look like if husbands and wives took responsibility for their lives? What would our families look like if young people took responsibility for the choices they make? What would our communities look like How easy would their jobs be, the policemen, the investigators, if citizens in this community took responsibility for their lives? How easy would the job of an educator become 
if students and parents of those students took responsibility for their own actions. But again, let's not talk about those out there or those across the room or those watching online. Let's talk about this person right here. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter in the Bible in verse 27. The Bible says, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, so God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Notice, Adam and Eve are fresh out of the box and God is giving them responsibility. Build a family, increase in number. There's responsibility number one. Fill the earth and subdue it. There's responsibility number two. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So you can see from the very beginning, God gave mankind one rule to live by and great personal responsibility. This was God's plan at the outset. Now stop and think about how ironic it is that we've completely reversed that order. Today, because so few are willing to take personal responsibility and live irresponsibly, it requires many, many, many rules, many, many, many laws to keep us in line. The principle I want you to see here at the get-go, from the very outset, God gave man one rule, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. And then he laid on the personal responsibility. Verse 28, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and every creature that moves along the ground. How'd they do? Well, if you know the story, you know they failed. They broke the one rule and shirked their personal responsibility. Turn to chapter 3 and look at verse 8. Chapter 3 contains what we commonly refer to as the fall of the universe, the fall of mankind. God told Adam and Eve, obey me, and you will live forever. Man said, no thanks, God, got a better plan. We'll do it our way. And the Bible says the universe fell from its original glory. Okay, now watch how Adam and Eve respond. Verse number 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God. They didn't step up. They stepped out. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord God called out to them, where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now watch verse 12. The man said, that woman. The man said, that woman, it's her fault. She did this to me. In fact, God, when you think about it, you're a little bit at fault too because you put her here with me. We haven't changed, have we? What's the problem in your marriage? That woman? What's the problem in your marriage? That man? That woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, 
What is this you have done? And the woman said, I take complete and total responsibility. This was all my fault. It's not what she said. The serpent, and by the way, you should only blame yourself because you created the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I did eat. Do you know what that teaches me? It teaches me three obvious truths. Number one, you were created to be responsible. It's part of the opening dialogue of the Bible. You were put here to be responsible. God created man and gave him only one rule, but personal responsibility. How might our society, our culture change if we could go back to that? Everyone takes complete and total responsibility. We'd need very, very few laws. Very, very few rules. Imagine a world where taking responsibility was the norm and not the exception. Imagine that for a moment. Do, do you understand that we operate under the assumption that people are going to be irresponsible? That's why we do business the way we do business. You know, there's a businessman in our church has dozens and dozens of employees. We were sitting at lunch one day and he said, he said, Mike, do you know that there's never been a shift, first, second, or third in my company, where everyone on that shift was on time? Think about that. You have three opportunities a day as an employee in that company to be responsible. There's never been one shift where everyone has clocked in on time. He went on. He said, Mike, do you know there's never been one week in the history of my company where multiple employees have not come to me and asked for an advance on their paycheck earlier in the week. He said, Mike, there's never been a week in my company where someone didn't call in sick or take a personal day that later I found out to be a complete and total utter fabrication. Do you know why that is? Because we're irresponsible. Employees are irresponsible. Children are irresponsible. Listen, church, adult followers of Jesus Christ can be irresponsible. You need to know we were created to be responsible. Number two, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Responsibility is a good thing, not a burden. Stop and think about this. How good do you feel about yourself when you are given responsibility and you manage it well? Don't you feel good about that? If the boss calls you into his office and says, man, I've been watching you. I like what I see. Look, I'm going to give you some more responsibility. And then you handle that well. How, how good do you feel about yourself? Look, you go to a mom after the service. You pull her aside and you say, yeah, I've been watching you. I'm impressed with you as a mom. Man, you've got a lot on you. You seem to manage it well. How's that mom going to feel? She's going to be flying high. Why? Because responsibility is good. And if I were created to be responsible, when I am responsible, I feel good about who I am. Do you understand that your self-image is directly tied to the, your level of personal responsibility? Do you understand that? I have never met an irresponsible, happy human being. Have you? Have you ever met someone who skirts responsibility, blames other people, shirks their responsibilities, and is happy at the same time? I haven't. And then here's number three. My responsibility 
if it becomes irresponsibility, will become someone else's responsibility. When I skirt my responsibility and become irresponsible, guess what's going to happen? It's going to become someone else's responsibility because no man is an island. No woman lives in isolation. No family, no citizen, no community, no country exists alone. My irresponsibility will one day become someone else's responsibility. If I'm irresponsible as a husband, my wife is going to pay that bill. If I'm irresponsible as a wife, my children might pay that bill. If I'm irresponsible as an employee, other employees pick up the slack. If we're irresponsible as a community, there are others who bear the burden of our responsibility. It's true with husbands and wives, parents and children, citizens and nations, governments and peoples. The failure to take responsibility is crippling our culture. It's damaging our communities. It's hurting and harming our families. But the Bible gives us an awesome principle. If you'll take your Bible and go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, I'll put this on the screen. The Bible offers us a principle that at first seems like tough medicine, but it's actually filled with promise and reward. Have you ever heard of the sowing and reaping principle? Okay, most of us have. But how did you hear about it when I was a young person? Young man, you're going to reap what you sow. Better not do that anymore. See, we tend to think of the sowing and reaping principle in a negative light. But what I want to show you today, it is also a promise that is filled with blessing and reward. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6, and let's read beginning verse 3. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Church, there's a lot of that going on, going around. There's a lot of people out there who think there's something when they're really not. They're deceiving themselves. There are a lot of people, irresponsible people, who think they're something, think they deserve better because of who they are. They're deceiving themselves. Paul says, don't do that. Verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Okay, now stop for a minute. The comparison is you to you, not you to me or you to someone else. The comparison is you to yourself. You see, when we compare ourselves to someone else, our marriage to someone else's marriage, our business, our financial position to that of someone else, the tendency is to make excuses. Well, they had better parents than I did. Well, they've got a better education. They came from money. You know that, don't you? Listen, I'm on medication. I've got back trouble. This is my issue. When you compare yourself to someone else, the tendency is to make excuses. But when you compare yourself to yourself, you make progress. So Paul says, test your own actions. Then you can take pride in them, themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. Verse 5, for each one should carry his own load. That's another way of saying each one should be responsible. If you can work, you should work. If you're physically capable of contributing, you should contribute. Because all those people in culture and community who can work but choose not to are irresponsible. Who's paying that bill? You are, I am. 
Paul says, everybody should carry their own load. They should be responsible. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Verse 7, do not be deceived. Now, when the Bible says don't be deceived, it's because there is a high risk that you will be deceived. <laughs> See, the Bible doesn't speak just to hear itself talk, okay? The reason the Bible makes a statement like this, issues a command like this, is because it, it is very, very probable that you and I will deceive ourselves. Do not be deceived. I said it earlier. I can spot irresponsibility in you a lot quicker than I can spot it in me. Aren't you the same? You can see my irresponsibility far faster, far quicker than you can see your own. So don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You may deceive others, but you're not going to deceive God. You may deceive yourself, but God can never be fooled. Now, let's be honest. Haven't we all tried to mock God in the past? Haven't we all tried to pull one over on God, life, his ways, his principles, his truth? Haven't we all thought that we're the smartest person in the room, and if anybody can get away with this, it's me. After all, I've deceived my mom. I've deceived my dad. I can deceive my wife. I can deceive you, but I cannot deceive God. Paul says, God cannot be mocked. Look, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God cannot be deceived. You can't outsmart God. You can't pull one over on God unless you pray and ask for forgiveness. It doesn't say that, does it? It says God cannot be mocked. Do you know that I have had grown men and women sit in my office and acknowledge that their current behavior is well out of bounds? Acknowledge that their current behavior is detrimental to their marriage. And their response? Well, I know God will forgive me. Listen to me, church. No, he won't. The Bible says, confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive. Not do your own thing and rest assured God will make it all better. It's not what the Bible teaches. To confess my sin is to see my sin, my failure, the way God sees it. That's pretty heavy. It's a pretty high standard. Then and only then does God promise to forgive, to cleanse to reinstate, to assist. So if you're the kind of person who deep down knows what you're doing with your money, knows what you're doing on social media, knows what you're doing in your marriage is out of bounds, and you're hoping, well, you know, I know it's out of bounds, but, you know, God's going to forgive me. No, he won't. Please hear me. God cannot be mocked. Here it comes. A man or woman or teenager, student, employee, reaps what he sows. There it is in black and white. There's the principle, a life principle. Mark it down. I reap what I sow. So think about the ramifications. I cannot plant deceit, plant selfishness, and reap integrity and reward. Can't do it. If you're a gardener, you get this. When you plant corn, you don't expect to get potatoes. Everybody understands this principle. Now, bring it into your life. 
apply it to your behavior. You cannot plant or sow irresponsibility and reap a blessing. The principle does not say, again, reap what I sow unless I ask forgiveness and try to make things right. That's not what it says. It says, I reap what I sow. Do you know how many times somebody's come to me and said, Pastor Mike, look, man, I've been coming to church now for six months. When's God going to start working things out for me? Stop for just a second. You sowed for seven years, and now you wonder why God won't change it in seven months. You, you planted for 10 years, and you wonder why God doesn't fix it in 10 days. Remember, church, you can rarely, if ever, pray your way out of something you've behaved your way into. That's an Andy Stanley-ism that I'll never forget. You can rarely, if ever, pray your way out of something you've behaved your way into. Why? Because you reap what you sow. That's the principle. Look at verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So now we understand there are eternal implications to the sowing-reaping principle. It's not just horizontal. I sow today and reap tomorrow. It's also eternal. Look, don't miss this. Paul is saying, if I live a life sowing to the little God of me, of I, I'm the boss, I'm the authority, I'm the final word in my life because I'm the Lord, little me, the little Lord of my life, then you're going to live a life that is selfish, irresponsible, and that demonstrates your eternal destruction. But on the other hand, if you sow a life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're the boss, you're the king, I'm doing my best to follow you. Your way is better than my way. Forgive me when I fail because I'm trying to stay on track. You're going to relief an eternal, you're going to reap an eternal blessing of reward. Isn't that beautiful? Now, the sowing reaping principle is either something we can ignore, forget about, put it out of your mind, and eventually regret. Or, church, it's something you could leverage to your own advantage. I told you at the outset, this principle at first glance sounds like tough medicine. Gee whiz, you're going to reap what you sow. It's kind of one of these finger-wagging passages, you know. But it is also a promise filled with blessing and reward. Here, Look, if you're over the age of 45, let me tell you something I probably know about you. If you're over the age of 45, you're probably sitting there thinking, Good grief, I wish somebody would have explained this to me when I was 20. Aren't you? See? Truth is, somebody did try to explain to you when, when you were 20, but you know what you did? You figured you could mock God. You deceived yourself and figured you could outsmart God. The real issue is I'm explaining it to you now. The real promise is now you know it. So look. Let me close with a couple things. If you find yourself in a tough spot right now, number one, you got to stop the blame game. You got to stop blaming it on your health, your condition. You got to stop blaming your parents. You got to stop blaming your wife. You got to stop blaming those kids of yours, the education system. You got to stop the blame game. You got to accept 
the fact that you have sown and reaped your way to where you are right now. You. You've made the choices. You've called the shots. You have sown and reaped your way to where you are right now. Others may have played a role. I get it. But you can't focus on that. you got to focus on you. That's part of number two. Own your responsibility. Okay? Think about a pie chart, okay? A pie chart. This is your life. All right? I don't care how big that piece of pie is that's others-oriented, circumstantial. I, I don't care if it's, you know, three-fourths or seven-eighths of your pie. you got to own the little sliver that's all you, buddy. That's all you. You got to own it. You got to stop blaming the other part of the pie, and you got to focus on your responsibility. And here's number three start doing today what you should have been doing all along. See, remember, <laughs> you can rarely, if ever, pray your way out of something you behaved yourself into, but you can start today doing what you wish you had been doing 20 years ago. 10 years ago, seven years ago when you were first married. Start doing today what you should have been doing all along. Oh, and also, please remember this. It's part of this fallen universe in which we live. It's part of the reality of our existence. L listen, it'll always be easier to behave ourselves into difficult situations than it is to behave our way out. I know it's not fair. I wish it were different. Think about a credit card. It's a lot easier to max out that credit card than it is to pay it off, right? That's the sowing reaping principle. It will always be easier to sow your way into difficulty than it is to sow your way out. But listen to me, church. God gives you an incredible promise at the end of that passage. Look at verse 9. Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get weary. Let us not become weary in doing good. What is the good you're doing? You're trying to sow your way out of a difficult situation. Don't grow weary. Watch. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Whose time? My time? Nope. Guaranteed not my time. Takes way longer than my time. My time is 10 minutes from now. My time's next summer, but in the proper time, when it's best for you, when God's work in you is complete, in the proper time, our God is so good, he's going to give you that harvest if you don't give up. You see, here is the reality of our good God. While the reaping often feels excessive when we've improperly sown, guess what? The blessing will also be excessive if we properly sow. Did you get that? That is evidence of the goodness, grace, mercy of our God. The reaping often feels worse than we deserve, but I guarantee you when you begin sowing properly, taking responsibility, stepping up in this area, the blessing is also more than we deserve. So what are we going to do? with a simple principle that a child could understand. Well, sadly, if you look around, most are going to ignore it. Sadly, if you sit in the office of a marriage counselor, most are going to skirt the issue. 
Sadly, if you look at politics on a grand stage, most of the people we put in power are going to try to get around the rules. Don't deceive yourself. You can't pull one over on God. You, me, everybody are going to reap what we sow. So my challenge is quite simple. Start today doing what you wish you'd always done. Simple as that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a clear-cut principle. Even I can grasp it. I can understand it. God, I'm grateful that it's life-changing. It's, it's revolutionary when you think about it. I don't know why we can so often wander through life oblivious to certain realities that are all around us if we just take notice. But God, that's what we're like. We're broken. That's why we need a Savior. So Father, when it comes to our personal lives, teach us to take responsibility, to step up and leverage the sowing and reaping principle to our benefit and your blessing. I pray all these things because of my respect for you, Father, my love for your word, my gratitude to your son, Jesus. Amen. Hey, God bless you, Grace Community Church. Fantastic to see you today. I hope you make it a great week. I'll see you next time.